We turn to the book of Zephaniah this afternoon, and we conclude our series in the Minor Prophets. There are 12 Minor Prophets, and we come to sermon number 12 today. Since we treated Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi prior to Christmas, the last prophet we consider in the series is not Malachi, but Zephaniah. Let's read together chapter 3 of the book. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste, that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. I said, Surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy." For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee, them that rejoice in thy pride. And thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid." And these following verses are the words of the text, verses 14 through 17. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. 
He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth, when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, according to chapter 1, verse 1, Zephaniah was a prophet of the Lord who labored in the days of King Josiah. And we know from the book of Kings that Josiah was the last of the godly kings in the kingdom of Judah. After Josiah, there were no more good kings, only wicked ones. The prophet Nahum probably lived around the same time as Zephaniah. We considered the message of Nahum already. Nahum brought the burden of Nineveh. He brought the prophecy of the fall of Nineveh. And at the time of Zephaniah, that prophecy was there, but Nineveh had not yet fallen. So God gave to Zephaniah, among other things, to reinforce the prophecy of Nahum. In chapter 2, verse 13, Zephaniah writes that the Lord will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria and will make Nineveh a desolation and dry like a wilderness. Zephaniah, like many of the other prophets, had a word of judgment to say about the nations around Judah, but he also had a word of judgment for Judah herself. And that is, indeed, the main message of Zephaniah. He had a message of judgment to come in the great and dreadful day of the Lord when God would punish Judah for her sins. Now, as I said, these were the days of Josiah, and King Josiah was like a breath of fresh air to those children of God who feared the Lord in those days. Nevertheless, the nation of Judah had become more and more spiritually corrupt as a whole. And therefore, Zephaniah had to bring words of judgment. In chapter 1, verse 4, he writes, This is what the Lord says, I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. And he speaks of the fact that they were worshiping all the hosts of heaven on the housetops. But God will consume and cut them down. In chapter 1, verses 14 and following, he says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, because they have sinned against the Lord. 
We read the words of judgment also in the chapter that we read, chapter 3, verse 1. He's talking here about Jerusalem when he says, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Her princes are roaring lions. Her judges are like wolves. Her prophets are light and treacherous. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. So Zephaniah pronounced that God was going to come in judgment upon Jerusalem in the near future. And therefore, the words of our text, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, shine forth from the pages of the book of Zephaniah with remarkable splendor. Because here the Lord brings tidings of joy, tidings of salvation. He brings to his people a reason to sing and to be glad and to shout for joy. And so we're going to consider how that can be that Zephaniah bringing these words of judgment can also exhort the people of God in his day to sing and rejoice. Consider Jehovah's delight in the daughter of Zion. We notice, first of all, his removal of her judgments and enemies. Secondly, his rejoicing over her with singing. And thirdly, his exhortation that she shout for joy. The prophet exhorts the daughter of Zion in the text, Sing, shout, be glad, and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And this is the reason she is able to sing and shout. Verse 15, The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. What a thing for Zephaniah to say to Jerusalem. After he had just pronounced in the previous chapters the terrible judgments that God was about to pour out upon Jerusalem in his wrath, in his fiery indignation for their sins and their wickedness. But in our text, Zephaniah is not contradicting what he said in the earlier prophecies. God was very serious, and he would indeed send those judgments upon Jerusalem. And in fact, he did send those judgments only a few decades later, when he raised up a powerful and fearful enemy from the east that came into the land of Judah and brought desolation and burned the city to the ground. Nevertheless, in our text, Zephaniah expresses his prophecy that he foresees a future time, a time that will come after these judgments, after these desolations, a future time in which God will take away the judgments of Zion, in which God will cast out all the enemies of Zion. Notice how Zephaniah speaks of the future. He's talking about a future time, and yet he speaks of it as if it has already come to pass. 
He says in verse 15, the Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He doesn't say the Lord will take away thy judgments. That's what he means. But he says the Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. He speaks of the future as if it is already an accomplished fact. He can do that because he is prophesying something that God has determined in his counsel. And because God has determined it, it is absolutely certain. Nothing can stop it from coming to pass. Zephaniah foresees a future in which the Lord has taken away the judgments and cast out the enemies of Judah. In the time of Zephaniah, those two things went together because God would bring judgment on Jerusalem through her enemy. He would raise up an enemy, fierce, terrible, wicked. And that enemy would invade and would bring destruction, burning, raping, killing, pillaging. But Zephaniah sees this beautiful future in which God has taken away the judgments and the enemies and removed them once and for all. And when Zephaniah sees this future, he sees the king of Israel in the midst of Jerusalem. And he wants the people of God to know what he's talking about. He doesn't leave them in doubt about who this king of Israel is. At the time, they had a godly king on the throne, Josiah. But Zephaniah wanted to make sure they understood he's not talking about Zephaniah, uh, Josiah. He doesn't mean that this good king is going to come down from his throne and dwell in the midst of the common people, as wonderful as that would have been. But what he means is Jehovah himself is going to come down into the midst of his people. The king of Israel, even the Lord, that is, Jehovah himself, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. This is what he sees. He sees Jehovah in the midst of Jerusalem as her king. What is Zephaniah speaking about here? He's speaking about the coming of the great day of the Lord. And when he speaks of the coming of the day of the Lord, we have to understand he has a different couple of different aspects of that. In the first place, he understands by that the very soon day in only a few decades when God would would send down judgments upon Jerusalem. But here in our text, he's looking beyond that day into the future. He's seeing the day of the Messiah. He's seeing the day in which the Lord will come down from heaven into the midst of his people. A day in which Jehovah himself is going to come down from his heavenly throne into the midst of his people, taking on their flesh and blood to reign as king in their midst. He says to God's people, I see the king in the midst of Jerusalem, dwelling with you, fellowshipping with you, protecting you, and taking away your judgments. What Zephaniah sees here, whether he understood it fully or not, we don't know. But what he saw was that Jehovah would come down into human flesh and remove the judgments from his people by taking them upon himself. He would remove the judgments which were due to her sin, 
by taking her sin upon himself and then suffering in human nature the judgments, the, the destructions, the sufferings that she deserved for her sins. He would descend into the desolation and gloom of hell for her in order to bear away her sins once and for all. And by doing that, he would cast out her enemy as well, her greatest enemy being not Assyria, not Babylon, but the prince of darkness. And all of his demonic henchmen who were behind those enemies and empires. Jehovah was going to come down into the world and by suffering the judgment that Zion deserved, cast out her enemy once and for all. Zephaniah sees a time when the people of God will be more than conquerors through him who loved them. God's people will be victorious over all of her enemies even though she doesn't deserve it. She will be victorious over the evil principalities and powers and dominions of Satan. And nothing will be able to separate them from the love of God. In short, Zephaniah is seeing the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. Because we know that Jesus is Jehovah. The Lord of hosts who came down from heaven, the person of the Son who came down into human flesh, into the midst of God's people and walked among men. He took on our human nature in order to take away the judgments that we deserve. The desolation, the gloom of everlasting damnation by taking it upon himself. And that's what he did at the cross. Zephaniah's prophecy was fulfilled at the cross where Jehovah in human flesh suffered his own judgments, in order to take them off of our heads. And there at the cross, he crushed the power of Satan, and he removed Satan's power once and for all. It's the day of Jesus Christ that Zephaniah prophesies, the day of the coming Messiah. That will be a day of salvation, a day in which God's people will not have to be afraid of anything anymore. Earlier in the chapter, Zephaniah prophesies about that day that God will turn a pure language to his people, verse 9. What Zephaniah means there is, then I will restore to the people a pure language, a language in which they are not calling upon the name of idols anymore, but now they call upon the name of the Lord with one consent, with one mind and one heart. He will gather from the ends of the earth, from the other side of the rivers of Ethiopia, and from the nations, one people, turning their hearts, converting them to the Lord, and ultimately he will bring them to perfection. So that verse 13 says, The remnant of Israel shall do no iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. This is what he sees. A beautiful, peaceful, glorious, sinless future when Jehovah of hosts comes down to dwell among men to take away the judgments and remove the enemies. What a comforting prophecy that must have been to God's people in those days knowing that they're about to experience great tribulation 
but knowing that beyond and in the future, there awaits for them a glorious kingdom in which the Messiah will come. And what a joy for us who stand on the other side of the coming of Christ and who can now look back in history and see how God has fulfilled his prophecies that God has come down into the flesh, into our world, and through the cross saved us from our sins and the curse we deserve. There is more. Zephaniah, as he looks into the future, also sees that Jerusalem, in the days of the Messiah, would have no more reason to fear, but only reason for joy. We read in verse 16, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. Zephaniah, as he looks into the future and sees the people of God dwelling there, redeemed, saved through Christ, he sees that it will be said to them that they don't have to fear. In other words, Zephaniah sees prophets. He sees preachers. He sees messengers of the Lord standing up in the pulpits of churches throughout the world and proclaiming to the people of God, don't be afraid. Zephaniah knew that there would still be the need for this message that there is no reason to fear because although the people of God would be, would be saved, they still live in the midst of the world. They still live in a world in which there is sin and evil all around. And sometimes the people of God look around and see the sin in the church, the sin in the world, the sin in their own hearts and families, and they can become fearful. They can become hopeless. They can become discouraged. They can even become in despair. And that's why Zephaniah sees that God will raise up preachers to say to his people, Fear thou not. Let not thine hands be slack. If our hands are slack, the idea is that they're hanging down low and we're hunched over because we're discouraged. We're hanging our heads low. We don't feel confident. We don't feel hopeful. We don't feel joyful. We're being weighed down by the troubles around us, by the tribulations, by sin. Sins that we've committed. Sins that people have committed against us. And we're tempted to be afraid. We're tempted to throw up our hands and say, what's the use? The world is full of wickedness. Everything is going downhill. We can become pessimistic and lose all hope. And, but Zephaniah sees that God is raising up men, ministers, preachers, and believers who are not ordained into office. So that believers say to one another as well, don't be afraid. Don't let your hands be slack. As we read in Hebrews 12, verse 12, the apostle writes to the New Testament church, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. The ministry says to God's people, don't be afraid. Strengthen your hands. Lift them up. Strengthen your feeble knees. Put your faith in God. 
he is in the midst of you. That's what he goes on to say in verse 17. And that's why we don't have to be afraid. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. He is mighty. He will save. He has come down from heaven and he is now in the midst of you. He has taken on human flesh and blood. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're experiencing. He's a merciful high priest. He's not aloof. He's not indifferent to your troubles, to your sorrows, to your struggles. He's in the midst of you. He is always with you. That's the message of the gospel too. Jehovah, your God, in Jesus Christ, will never, ever leave you. He will never leave you on your own to figure things out on your own. He will always be in the midst of you. He will always be with you in your heart, in the midst of the congregation, through the word and sacraments. And where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he will be in the midst of them. And he is mighty. He's mightier than all of the forces of nature, all of the forces in society, all of the wicked forces that are at work in the world. He's mighty. He's already defeated them through his death on the cross. And he will save. There is nothing that is outside of his control. He's mighty to save. He will save. That means that the salvation he has accomplished already at the cross, he will carry it out. He will apply it to the uttermost. He will bring us to our ultimate salvation in glory. What a tremendous hope that must have been, too, to the believers in Zephaniah's day. Knowing they're about to go through these titanic struggles and troubles with the invasion of Babylon, the burning of the city, to know that the Lord is with them, with his elect people. He will never leave them, and he's mighty to save them. And that's a comfort and hope for us as well, because we know that we too have to go through times of tribulation. We know that we personally will have to go through times of tribulation. We all know that the future, although it will hold, we hope, joys and prosperity and blessings will also hold adversities, sufferings, and troubles until at last we finish our pilgrim's journey. We also know that the church must pass through the great tribulation in which the dragon raises up the beast. So what a comfort for us to hear. The Lord our God is in the midst of us. He is with us. He is mighty. He will save. And that brings us to what is perhaps the most remarkable part of the text. He goes on to say in verse 17, He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. The prophet here shows with three beautiful phrases how much the Lord delights in his people. We cannot really even comprehend what he is saying here. We understand what it means when we as humans delight in the ones that we love. Think of how much you delight in the ones that you love, your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends. 
You delight in them. And that involves feelings of joy. Sometimes the feelings even bubble up and overwhelm us so that we want to sing. We're so happy to be with the ones we love. We're so happy to have a fellowship with them. We want to sing and shout for joy. But how can it be that God rejoices over us with joy? That God joys over us with singing and rests in his love? The prophet is using the the figure of human feelings and human experiences to help us understand how much God delights in us. It's an indescribable, indefinable kind of thing. So he simply uses language from our experience that we understand. It's as if he's saying, do you know what that feels like? You've, you've all felt that, that overwhelming, overflowing joy in those that you love. Well, that's how God feels about you. God delights in you. He rejoices over you. Now notice each of those three statements. He says, first of all, he will rejoice over thee with joy. Zephaniah is comparing the Lord to a young man who is thinking about his bride-to-be, the daughter of Zion. He's engaged to her. He's looking forward to marrying her and entering into this wonderful life together. And he's excited. He can't wait to see her. He wants to see her face. He wants to be with her, to spend time with her. And whenever she comes up in his mind, he's overflowing with gladness and delight. She's the woman he's in love with. We all know what that's like. And the prophet says, that's how God feels about you. He rejoices over you with joy. He can't wait to see you and to be with you forever. He goes on to say in the second place, he will rest in his love. That could mean that God is quietly satisfied in his love for you when he is in your presence. Again, we think to ourselves, how can that be? God, he finds sweet joy and satisfaction, this sense of quiet serenity when he's with me, when He's with us when he's with his people, the ones whom he loves. That's the idea. It's as if God is laughing and shouting for joy when you are around him, when you are in his midst. Another possible meaning of that second statement could be that God quiets us with his love. That God is so intent to make sure that we understand how much he loves us And as he makes that known to us, he quiets us. That's the the meaning of the word rest in the original, to be quiet. He quiets down our hearts, our anxieties, our fears. He quiets us down with his love. He says, you don't have to be afraid. I love you. I'm taking care of you. I'll never leave you. Everything is well. So that we become quietly satisfied in his love. And then in the third place, he says that God will joy over thee with singing. 
He will joy over you. He will shout for joy. That's the idea in the original. He will shout and laugh and sing for joy over you. Again, you have to think of a husband as he is thinking of his bride-to-be. The daughter of Zion is the bride of God. And as he thinks about her, his heart is so filled with joy, it's bubbling over that he wants to shout, he wants to tell the world, and he doesn't care who hears him say it, that he loves Zion. He loves her. He loves her so much. And he sings for joy whenever he thinks of her. I say that is probably the most remarkable part of the text. And indeed, it's one of the most remarkable texts in all of Scripture. God? We understand that we sing over him. When we think of his love, we sing, we shout. We get to that in the third point. But the idea that God sings over us, he sings over me. He's singing a tuneful melody in joy and delight as he thinks of us. All of this points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jehovah has come down in the person of Christ. And he loves us through Christ. Christ is the one who loves us. And Christ is the one who speaks in the text. Zephaniah, as he sees the future, he sees this company of preachers. It shall be said to Zion, he says. It shall be said to her. He sees men saying to the church these things. Christ rejoices over you with joy. Christ takes quiet satisfaction when he is with you. Christ joys over you with singing. We have to understand that Jesus is not ambivalent about us. He is not indifferent toward us. He doesn't think that we are a bore. He doesn't think that we are irritating. We are not a nuisance to him. He takes such delight in us and longs to be with us that he sings for joy. We cannot comprehend that on so many levels, but it's true. Jesus is eager to see you, to wrap his arms around you, to shout for joy that a lost sheep has been brought home into the fold of heaven forever. And he wants to see us, to hold us, to embrace us in his arms so badly that he says to his bride, I come quickly. I come quickly for you. I'm coming as quickly as I can. And soon you're going to hear the sound of the trumpet, the last trump. That will be my voice. That will be the sound of the wedding bells. Me coming for you, my bride. And that sound of the trumpet is going to destroy and crush all of your enemies in an instant as I gather you up and whisk you away to the marriage supper of the Lamb to dwell with me forever. That's how Jesus feels about us. And that's why, finally, the prophet exhorts us. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
daughter of Jerusalem? When you hear that, you think, first of all, of the God-fearing women in the church, don't you? The daughters of Israel. The daughters of Zion. The little girls who are raised up in the fear of the Lord, who love the Lord their God. The teenage girls who are learning about Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The grown adult women. The grandmothers. Daughter of Zion. This is how God feels about you. But it also includes us men, the little boys in the church, the teenage boys, and us grown men, because the daughter of Zion is the whole church. Daughter of Zion, sing and rejoice and shout for joy, because the Lord loves you as his bride. So you see, we have reason to sing and to rejoice no matter what we're facing in our lives. Whether we're facing troubles and afflictions and burdens that weigh us down, when we hear what Jesus feels about us, how much he desires to be with us and to take us home to be with him, It quiets our souls. Everything fades away into the background. And our souls feel a song of joy rising up. A song that's not like when we just sing out of habit. A song that arises from deep within. That arises out of gladness. So that is when the apostle says in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We can do that. Always. We can rejoice and sing and be glad when we lift up the eyes of faith to Christ. I know, in this life, we sometimes don't feel joyful. We sometimes feel doubtful, fearful, and pessimistic. But the reason for that is the weakness of our flesh that doesn't arise out of faith. So the exhortation of the text, sing, shout, rejoice, includes the exhortation to believe. Believe. That is, believe in your heart that what has just been said is not just true for others, but for you. Believe that. That Jesus really feels this way about you. Believe that. Do you believe that? When that strikes a chord deep inside of us, when we know that the Almighty God loves us this much and even more than that because we haven't even really begun to define how great that love is. That makes you want to sing. That makes you want to shout. Whether things are well in your life or not, whether you're having prosperity or adversity, that makes you want to shout. It's by faith that we can rejoice. 
And that's where we come to the conclusion of this series on the minor prophets. It was by clinging to these promises of God that the Old Testament saints were able to persevere through the most terrible times in history. They were living through times of great upheaval, tribulations, calamities, plagues, captivity, Assyrian invasions, Babylonian invasions, the burning of their cities and their houses, the loss of their possessions, the loss of their loved ones. It was only by clinging to those promises that they were able to persevere through it all. And as we know, those Old Testament saints are examples, heroes of faith that encourage us in our life so that we too, clinging to these promises of God by faith in Christ, will also be able to persevere through all the troubles that may await us in the future until at last we arrive at the shores of eternity, until at last the Lamb who was slain gathers us up into his arms at the wedding feast to sing and joy over us for all eternity. Amen. Our Father and our God, how great is thy word and how powerful. Lord, we, may each of us take that word home with us and may it have an impact on the way we think, the way we live, and may it give us joy so that no matter what is going on in the world, what is going on in our lives, families, denomination, we may look by faith to the Lord who loved us and bought us and may find in him reason for rejoicing, knowing that he rejoices over us, he sings over us, he delights to be with us and to take us to him. And so we pray Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly.